It's the finale. It's the final countdown. We're eating chips. Like I think if any anthropologist were to dig up this recording, right, the first thing they would be saying is these two humanoids are intoxicated. <laughs> Quite intoxic we've drank it a lot today. We had three cocktails and three or four beers. Oh yeah, but the but the first cider was a uh, tall boy. Oh, yeah, that's right. Tall boy. Holy fuck. Okay, oh. I'm still drinking. Mm-hmm. I'm also like a slightly bigger than you. Um, not that much. <laughs> <laughs> like just like a tad. Anyways. Anyway. Welcome to the finale, dude. We hashtag. Listen. Uh, we. I am season finale. Thrilled uh, to declare uh-huh. that um, Honda is sponsoring this episode. <laughs> As is Dove, Maybelline. We have so much money Vogue. coming in. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that the uh, Zelda playing audience is the most lucrative um, advertising target in... You would not believe. In all of the U.S. Right. And potato chips. And chips. And chips. Ma'umo. So, shall we reflect on the first game we just finished? Also, forgive our chip eating. We're drunk and we're hungry. Legend of Zelda. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good, right? That was amazing. Hannah. Yeah, that's me. What was your favorite dungeon? So, from all the dungeons, I'm going to list them all to you guys one more time. The first one was called The Eagle. Mm-hmm. Then there was The Moon. The Manji, the snake, the lizard, the dragon, the demon, the lion, and finally, Death Mountain. Hmm. Honest to God, just off of these titles, I feel like I enjoyed the moon. I definitely enjoyed the moon. Um, which one was the one where we got the the rod, the fire, the flame rod? Was it the last one, or was it the one before? I think it was Dungeon Six. The dragon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember liking that dungeon. It had the right mix of, like, underground passages to also, like, this dungeon's not out of control. It's difficult, but it's not too crazy difficult. Yeah. Like, we definitely need to leave to restock on hearts and rupees. But it also wasn't like, oh, my God, I am throwing down the controller in frustration right now. Because there was one of those. Uh, yeah, there was a couple, actually. Yeah. Was that Booger Green? Booger Green. Yeah, Dungeon 5 obviously was the one that gave us the most fucking grief. Yeah. Oh, de- that was the one with Goma. Dungeon 6 was with Goma. Oh, okay. Well, we're going to have a chip. chips. I love chips. I love nuts. <laughs> I love nuts and I love chips and I love beer. I do love the Goma one because it was difficult and the boss was stupidly easy, which did actually... That it was, it was some comic me. relief. I think level I think level four was actually my favorite though. Based yeah. from what I remember. I kinda remember that being a big one for you too. Yeah, where mm-hmm. you have to cross the river into it. Yep, yep, yep. I think uh-huh. that one actually might have been my favorite. I, not only because like listen, sure it was easier, right? Compared to all the other bullshit that we went through after level level five and literally on. But I think it had the perfect balance of like 
Um, my for me personally, like just the right amount of like effort was involved. Jeremy, I'm gonna ask you this question. Ask me that question. What was your favorite item, both passive and active? Hmm. Okay. Um, I think my favorite passive item was the um. Sword not included. Yeah, I, I'm gonna go with the ladder. Um, my favorite passive item okay. was the ladder. I think it was really cool that it, it sort of had two uses, right? You could use it to both bridge gaps, yeah, um, but also cross rivers. And they were both sort of equally as advantageous because you could cross rivers to get heart pieces. You could cross gaps to get to um, areas that you wouldn't otherwise be able to in, um, in dungeons. Um, so it was not only like necessary to complete the game, but it was also an opportunity to get to explore some areas that you might not have otherwise. Okay. My favorite active item was the Wizrobe wand. What was it actually called? Not the, the magical rod. Not the boomerang. No, the magical rod. The magical rod. Yeah. Yeah, the magical rod. <laughs> okay. Ah! All right. Favorite item was the magical rod. I think. Um, Wait, with or without the book of magic? Which the book of magic was the passive item to make it shoot fire. Ooh. Right. Okay. Listen. Right. Uh, I'm gonna go with the the combo because like. The ability for it to shoot fire was really, um, besides the whiz robes, it helps you take down almost any other enemy, um, which was just not only, like, nice, but, like, honestly necessary um, to sort of get us through those dungeons that were more difficult. Okay. What about you? Okay, so my passive kind of ties, to be honest, because while I think the stepladder, for me, makes rooms in general a lot more makes them a lot easier um and you do get it relatively early i think that's why it's so fucking good i do think if you had gone to it a little bit earlier which is like kind of a cop-out for it but i think having like the infinite keys mm. is literally just like a weight off your shoulders i think yeah. it's i i definitely think that the ladder is better than the keys honestly but i think the keys is a very close second for me personally because it's like even though i never feel, felt like we kind of ran into a problem with in terms of keys if we didn't have it in the last one i would have been stressed the fuck out without it i absolutely agree i think i think that's yeah. a really um cool item that they introduced that's sort of like an all access pass it's like you know what we want you to explore whatever yeah and, and that invitation is really enticing in the zelda game yeah like, the keys take off anxiety for me, whereas the ladder just, like, keys into my laziness. Sure. <laughs> in terms of active items, oh, man. I have to agree. I think the, that fucking wand was just too fucking good. Um, like, I love bombs, but bombs have never, ever been my favorite item. Usually it's the arrow. But the arrow, like, wasn't as powerful to me because you had to use money for it. Which, I think if you... Hmm were a player that, like, just wanted to... And I, I think also this is, like, a time thing, like, in terms of, like, eras rather than, like, times where, like, amount of time it took for us to play this game. Right. I feel like you'd have to explore a lot more, and you would be able to gain rupees a lot easier because you would just be exploring and trying to find those dungeons and, like, all that other shit. So I feel like it'd be really easily... Easy, I'm sorry, to accumulate, like... I don't know, like, at least probably 500 rupees without a fucking sweat. I mean, literally the one with that book, you not only shoot fire, but it basically is just, like, the sword at your full hearts at all times. Right, yeah. That item's so fucking good. And it lingers good. with a flame. Yeah, even if you don't have the flame, it was still good, you right. know? The flame mm -hmm. is obviously, like, a super bonus, but still. I agree. 
I love chips. What about your favorite boss? Definitely not the dragon. There was Manhandla, who was the eyeball with the little pinchers. Goma with the eye. Honestly, it might have been Ganon. Oh, with the recorder. The guy with the recorder. Uh, yeah, I think I like the one with the recorder because it was like interesting with the item, but it was still just kind of like, eh. I think it was Ganon, and then if I had to choose a boss aside from Ganon, it would be that one with the recorder. Maybe Manhandla because you could like, it was a little spice. No, no, no. Okay, I took it all back. <laughs> I took it all back. I think Manhandla was my favorite only because it was purely skill-based. So it could be a boss that was very, very hard for some people if they, like, couldn't get the right aiming every time or it was, like, super easy if you just, like, got fucking lucky. Which I think is, like, infuriating slash also cool. Right. Um, so for me, you touched on it a little bit, but Dig Dogger was my favorite. The um, recorder? Yeah, because this was... Not a um, battle of strength, but a battle of wits. Uh-huh. Um, and I really like... I don't the know why... The whole temple was. Yeah. And I'm not sure why, but I really like the aspect of, like, having to figure something out and just fight, like, strategically rather than, like, with brute force. Um, and also that concept of, like, taking down a beast with a melody. Yeah. And you see it from time to time. You see it in, like, in Harry Potter with, like, Fluffy... And you see it in, like... Yes. A lot of different fantasy things where it's like, well, maybe the right thing is not to just, like, go in, like, swords wielding and everything. But like, I mean, even in Undertale, like, uh, the other video right. game, mm -hmm. it's like, you there's several routes you can go down, but, like, you don't have to beat the boss by just strength. You could be nice to it in that game. Mm -hmm. And then you just, like, win its heart over and it doesn't want to kill you anymore. Right. So sometimes it's like the obvious path in a video game of just like whacking at it isn't always the answer. And I also like that it kind of heralds back, or I guess forward, it heralds forward to the um, trend of Zelda games to use the weapon of the dungeon mm -hmm. to defeat the boss of that dungeon. Because right. really, um, maybe there was one other one, but like for the most part you did not need the weapon in the dungeon to defeat the boss. Maybe But Goma. this one you needed. You needed it. Goma, maybe. And then, and then uh, Ganon. You had to have the silver. Like, all the bosses in this were, like, pretty easy. They were always right. a lot easier than the dungeon the rest itself. Of the rest of the dungeon, yeah. Which okay. uh, kind of bothers me. And, uh, uh -huh. I don't know. Maybe because of the other, way the other games go. Yeah. Alright, well. Yeah. Let's move on. Alright. Overall aesthetic of the game? Speaking of. <laughs> I, um, think, I think I, I got the sense that this game was big enough to explore which i really like i i love the explorational feature of mm -hmm. uh, zelda games and yet small enough to not feel overwhelming yeah for um, sure i i think it struck that balance really well what i think it did miss a note on was like having it just be a little more linear and in general i don't like linear games as much but i think this game was a little bit too freeform mm -hmm. it, it relied a little bit too much on um the player having to strike random spots you know, a lot of luck involved unless you really like play with a manual or a guide. Um, I agree with that too. I, I and like I think this kind of goes without saying. Like obviously, like this was made in nineteen eighty seven, so this in comparison to like fucking I don't even know Skyrim. You know, is obviously like a completely different sure. beast. But I think like aside from like the two bit pixelated business, I think um that the graphics for the time were actually like pretty great yeah like even like when you always entered a dungeon there was always these like little statues that greeted you that like 
I you can already tell that they were like scary looking, and I feel like for the most part, like none of these dungeons were exactly scary, but it wasn't like exactly like a welcoming statue, and even yeah. with like a pixelated, you know, game, they were able to convey that message, which I think is really cool. This one reminds me the most of Breath of the Wild in terms of like current games that are out or like since then, because mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild was kind of like non-linear too which is Absolutely. funny because yeah. at this time of our recording um breath of the wild is the most recent game to have come out how do you think it ages like do you think it holds up or you know what kind of influence did it have on like the current games i feel like it does not age the best in terms of like not i'm not even talking about graphics but just in terms of like we were saying like with the navigation part um it's just like I feel like following a guide, at least for me, like made it sl- like just a little bit less fun because I think there is some sort of gratification in like just figuring stuff out, but I feel like it would have taken so much time to figure this out and it would have added so many more hours. What about you? what about for you though? Um, you know, I think that as far as a phenomenon, it aged really well. Because, okay, yeah. Because there there are certain um, aspects of this game that appear. That are instantly recognizable, for sure. Um, for you know, sure, you know, like the take this sword, like it's it's um, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this, mm-hmm. um, and just in general, just you see that pixelated link, and you immediately know, like that's the Zelda game. That's what started it all. True, um, that's it, true. It, it holds up, and not only that, but it's sort of like given. It's like if there were a video game award, like this would have that Oscar, you know? Yeah. Um, people, people know, like this is where it all started. However. As far as aging well as an actual playable game, um, I don't think it's about aging. I think it's just about this game being different for the time period. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been sort of circling around that for these, this entire conversation, really. It's just that for the time, like maybe this was how games were meant to be played. Maybe you were meant to pick up the guide and do this as, like, as a buddy system where like one person guides you and the other sure. person plays. Yeah. And I think it was really effective as that. Like We sort of had that sort of like pilot, co-pilot, um, approach to it, which is pretty cool. Yeah, for um, sure. And other Zelda games are a lot more independent. Like, you don't need that co-pilot. I think the influence it has on other games is obvious. Like, this yeah. for- this formula is not only influential to future Zelda games, but also other indie games, like just dungeon crawlers and... Um, Binding of Isaac that we keep talking yeah, about. Yeah, Binding of Isaac. Like, like, games where you just you know go from room to room from this top-down perspective. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. I mean... It might not have started with Zelda, but it definitely was, like, the popularization of that. For sure. And I just, I owe it so much thanks and gratitude, if not just for the game, but just for what it, um, you know, engendered in the the world of video games. But I think even just, like, coming to this game from all the other games, um, I was able to immediately identify, like, Hyrule Fields, who Link was... Zelda was an immediate, like, thing for me at the very end. Even Ganon, which I think does add to its, like, timelessness. I guess I kind of rescind my statement of if it's, like, if it aged well or not. I do think... I still stand by, like, um, the guide aspect um, a little bit, but I guess it did really age well. Well, what do you think about the, um, the story? I think the story of this one really is pretty rudimentary. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like, you kind of just nailed it with just saying like, you know, Link equals good, Ganon equals bad, Zelda equals like, save the. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Um, and that's, that's pretty formulaic. Uh, really what I enjoy about Zelda games is the whole like lore behind it. 
Yeah. And that um, it sort of deviates from this path of just like, really, this is just copy and paste. Like Mario was was published before this game. Right. And it was the same thing. Mario equals good. Bowser equals bad. Zelda or Peach, Peach equals yeah. save the. Right. So that's the story, really. Not not too much going on there. Yeah. But how do you feel about this game? Uh, progressively, so from from like the starting point where we started out to mm-hmm. now that we've finished it. Yeah. I feel like when I first started playing it, I'm not gonna lie, I was like not super enthusiastic about it. I was enthusiastic to start this with you, and I was ex- enthusiastic to just do anything Zelda. But I feel like, and this is definitely my own ignorance, I was like, oh my god, it's like the first one, how good can it actually be? I know it's going to be hard, but like how good can it actually be? And now that it's like completed, even though like I was, I definitely played more on the sidelines for it, I think there is like a gratification that's like, wow, now I know exactly how hard it is, I get to understand a lot more about this lore, like lore of this entire game. And it's, like, obviously whenever you complete anything, like, you feel good about it, but I think it's, like, a different kind of completionist where it's, like, all right, like, this game is pretty tough. Like, there was a lot of time where we were recording just trying to figure shit out and, like, possible strategies and, like, maybe this weapon will work against this enemy, but I'm not too sure. You know what I mean? Where I think in mm-hmm. other games it's, like, I know this weapon's gonna work, but, like, how effective is it gonna actually be? You know what I mean? And this was, like... Is this weapon going to work at all? So, what about you? Uh, you know, my personal feelings are very, very conflicted with this game. Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as, like, playability goes, um, I had a lot of fun exploring the overworld. Uh-huh. Uh, I had a lot of fun, like... Because you did explore the overworld without me here, too, without, without us recording. Yeah, you know, and, and I think the first half of the game was super enjoyable, Stumbling upon these dungeons very organically, coming yeah. upon these weapons, kind of seeing like where it all started was really natural, uh, and I really enjoyed that whole process. Uh, it was only once the game got a little bit more intense, where it, I just picture on the other end Nintendo being like, "Hmm, we got to make it harder. How right. do we do it? Just make it impossible to find these things." And that's where it starts to lose me a little bit, you know? Yeah, I, for I, sure. I feel like once it becomes like, "Oh, you need to play this song in front of it." Uh, pond and you need to right. burn this random bush and bomb this random wall mine's mostly the bush I yeah think. yeah like, you know no matter how enjoyable the dungeons are those curveballs just seem like unfair to me not player friendly and, and not only that but just not in the spirit of a zelda game like zelda the whole the whole universe is sort of about like inclusivity and like letting an underdog sort of conquer and this does not seem like it's congruent with that story and message. Right. Um, as far as actually playing the game, like where the guide goes, though, I love seeing the first incarnations of enemies yeah. that we see even in modern games. Right. And I loved seeing, you know, just the lore of like the Triforce and Ganon and Zelda and the swords and uniforms and stuff like that that come back like again and again. This really, like, there was a lot of thought that went into planning this game. Yeah. Um, and I love that those those things reappear. And that this game um, did sort of come back with other lives in future games. Um, so I'm really conflicted about it. Yeah. You know? I mean, even with, like, the costumes to kind of bounce off that. Like, obviously the first one, the green tunic, is iconic. Don't need to go into that. The second one kind of reminds me of, like, the fierce deity in uh, Majora's. Because you, mm. like, have this white tunic that's not really seen... 
in any other game, and then obviously the red tunic is like the Goron one or like the fire one, right? Let's um kind of characterize both of our emotions and give this whole game a rating. Okay. Uh, out of ten. We'll use a serious rating because we've been giving it like, like seven keys out of like six <laughs> candles. <laughs> um, out of ten, I'm I'm gonna go with a six, on this. Um, okay. You know, it's it's not a zero. It's not a failing grade. Oh this, no! This this really was a lot of fun to enjoy, and part of the reason we're doing this podcast is to experience the early Zelda games. But I'm glad we did it. You know, yeah. I, I feel like it's a rite of passage. This the six is there only because I feel like there were some just flagrant misgivings as far as catering to a player. I I think Nintendo is in general really good about creating a really playable. Um, universe for for the the player, even in like the original Mario, and yet the original Zelda is just like uh, falls a little short for me. No, absolutely. I feel like first games or first anything to a whole series, um, in general, just automatically deserve independent accolade. Right, but at the same time, like you were saying, like the difficulty is pretty like ridiculous at times, right? Especially when you have enemies that are more difficult than a boss. Which I think it definitely, like, loses points on. I think it loses points on the bush, and, like, I think the story it loses points on, for at least me personally, which I know story isn't super important to, like, all players. So, I think I'm going to rate it, I think I'm going to be a little critical of it, and I'm going to give it a five. I think I'm going to give it a five because it's right in the middle of the road, and I think that while it did introduce us to Link and Ganon and Zelda, it didn't introduce us to the whole story, which makes me love it so much. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be very thankful to be able to like when people ask like oh but have you played the original legend of zelda now i can be like yes i have yes i have i mean i didn't but like (laughs) i'm really looking forward to that (laughs) right yeah that brag factor you know no that's definitely huge and 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 not only brag factor but just like as such a huge zelda fan and admirer of the of the whole genre it's 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 nice to visit the roots and understand it and play it and complete it do you feel that this one is like very different than the future games or do you think that it fits in well with the rest of them yeah does that make sense uh i'm gonna give probably a disappointing answer okay and say that it is both very much a zelda game and also very much not a zelda game Mm -hmm. um in almost every single zelda game you have this dichotomy like you have an overworld and an underworld in this mm-hmm. case or in ocarina of time you have a past and a present okay or in yeah. wind waker you have the the ocean and the um you know underneath the ocean in twilight princess you have the dark and the light yep uh in skyward sword you have the sky and the earth like yeah almost always you have these like two worlds and yeah. this pioneered that yeah with the dungeon system Mm-hmm. which is sort of elaborated on in future games, um, having that sort of, like, dual perspective. Um, and, oh, my God, that's what makes Zelda so unique for me is is having those, like, two different perspectives on the game. Yeah. And Nintendo really tries to continue with that. They didn't even realize what they were doing at the time, but, but creating these dungeons, which at the time they called labyrinths, yeah. um, really sort of set the, wor- set the stage for having um, these chapters. Yeah. And those chapters, just like you need chapters for a book, I think that you need them for a video game. I think you said it when you said, um, I don't think they realized what they were doing. 
I think that this was like kind of like a test run. Is this formula going to work? Is this like dungeon system going to work? Is this like discovery of like where do I go next? Finding these items that help me throughout the game and like I get more and more powerful. So I think there's like a factor of it that makes it a little bit, makes it, pulls it out of the whole universe to kind of like test some, test the waters on certain things. So that when they go back into it, knowing how the audience has reacted to it, they can like take it to the next level and like really enhance the entire story. To sort of uh, uh, conclude, I think of this game as a grandparent mm-hmm. who has you, who you love and a adore, Santa, if you will, <laughs> perhaps um, who has wisdom and who clearly like you know has so much history and you can appreciate and love. But also recognize that like they are the past and we are the future. Right. Yeah. Um, that there were some things about it that weren't the best, but it did help with the future. Yeah. Wow. Season one. Season one. It's complete. Nineteen eighty-seven. We did it. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, I just I just want to say a personal thank you to anyone who has stuck with us. Honestly, yeah. Through all these episodes, I I know they're long. I know that this has been a fucking weird. <laughs> Podcast being really silly at times, you're really serious at times. A lot of tangents, a lot of Elton John. Whew. And whether you are a fan of Do- Zelda or just like a friend of one of ours, um, we really appreciate you being here. Absolutely. For the final time in this season. Right. I'm Hannah. I'm Jeremy. We are Hannah and Jeremy getting drunk to talk about Zelda. Please tune in to season two where we do the very next Zelda and we'll see if we get even drunker, <laughs> even more infuriated. Any more pauses? Uh, uh, like all of those things. How many more tangents are we going? I don't fucking know. 17,000. At least. Yeah. Maybe more. All right. All right. That's it. Bye. Bye. I'm pausing for the final time.